I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Rachel from Nottingham, and you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, if you would describe yourself as a drink, what drink would you be? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello! And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we're talking everything from... We are talking everything from Rachel, uh, from Nottingham's question. If you, could just, if you could describe yourself as a drink, what drink would you be? Dane... What drink would you be? One. It's a tough one, right? Um, it is a tough one. Um, I don't know how specific specific I can get, but I'd say I, 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 I see myself as kind of like a cocktail. Mm. Like tall, cold and <laughs> sweet, but leaves a aftertaste of reality right. at the end of it. Nice. That's, that's pretty specific and, and quite detailed, actually. I was just going to go for a panda pop, but... Um, because I wanted to say panda pops because I haven't thought about them for years. Um, but, um, but your answer was better. Um, well, you can't just say nostalgia, Howard. I mean, you know, there's more stuff to you as a panda pop. I wouldn't say you're an artificial guy. <laughs> but sweet and, and, and good in small doses uh, would be my uh, personal sales tip. And, also, and, and cost effective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so there you go. Well, um, I hope that answers your question, uh, Rachel. And suffice to say, on this podcast, uh, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Absolutely. No question is too big, small, smart, stupid or irrelevant. So if you do like this show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can see all of our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show, our guest is a Malaysian stand-up comedian and content creator based in the UK. In July 2020, he went viral globally from his video of Uncle Roger, a middle-aged Asian man reviewing Ed Fried Rice. He has now amassed 70 million views on his YouTube channel. As a stand-up, Nigel was nominated for the prestigious Best Newcomer Award for his sold-out show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival 2019, and he also made his TV debut in 2018 on Comedy Central Stand-Up Central, shortly followed by Comedy Central's Roast Battle and BBC Two's Mock the Week. And also, an all-round good guy, please welcome to the show, Mr. Nigel Ng. Hey! Hey, hey, hey welcome! Hey, Dane. Hey, Howard. How's it going? Good, good, good. Yeah. Weather is nice today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and and how do you feel about that biog there? Does that make you excited? God, I mean, it's a lot of lot of stuff been <laughs> lot of stuff's been going on, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know. I think it people get. I think people get will get bored of it halfway through. It's, it's <laughs> sure it sounds nice, but it's like you know, it's not that big a deal, really. People, people don't get bored, and we can always we can always add more sauce onto that as well, Nigel. This is the man who stood up <laughs> against Jamie Oliver and won. Here's the man who critiques Gordon Ramsay with no fear. You see, we can spice it up as much as we want. See, that, that, that's why entertaining. Probably, oh, yeah. Yeah. Already won just, that award. And, you know, just the guy that said that Gordon Ramsay can't make egg fried rice too well. And Gordon Ramsay has yet to respond. Welcome no, Gordon responded. Gordon, Gordon did oh, he great. Did? Oh. Okay, didn't respond. Jamie was the one who messed up, and okay. and you know, it, to be fair, on my deathbed, the, the memories you see, seeing the flashbacks of your life, I'm not gonna remember the the Edinburgh Newcomer Award, but I will remember <laughs> Gordon Ramsay leaving a comment on my YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's gonna make a difference, and you won't have to worry about Jamie because he'll be there right by your deathbed, being like, "Well, well, well." <laughs> if you want some of my fried rice right now? You'd be like, "Jamie, this is kind of petty now, don't you think?" No, I don't yeah. think. I hope he doesn't outlive me. He's he's a lot older than me, isn't he? Yeah, How I old feel, is Jamie Oliver? Yeah, he's got to be about 50 now, surely. 15? Jamie okay, so 50 now, but he's also very wealthy, so it's hard for me to gauge. But yeah, <laughs> that I'm is sure. 46, 46. He's probably like 100. Oh, he's 46. 46. So he's probably okay, about he's 46, but due to his wealth and race, I'd say he's about 35. 
Yeah. Oh he, shit. If you take into account his money, endorsements, privileges, earnings, and holdings, then I'd say he's probably about thirty-five. Like, you know, pending some kind of really bad drug ha- drug habit or divorce, <laughs> they're going to get a lot more years out of him. Privileges and wealth and holdings. I'm like fifty-five. I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm like seventy, and if I was living in South Central, I'd be like eighty-four now. So I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing very well. Well, um, very well. It, it's. It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show tends to dictate? Absolutely. As our very esteemed guest, Nigel, we welcome you to ask the first question. It can be any question you like, uh, no judgments mm-hmm. here, or observations, uh, which you'd like to discuss for 15 minutes and some change, then how I'd like to ask an equally insightful question, which we'll discuss for 15 minutes. And then I will ask the final question, uh, which we will do the same, lather, rinse, repeat, and then we can uh, let our subscribers who may have been living under a rock or in Camp David or Guantanamo Bay who have not heard of Nigel Ung or Uncle Roger, where they can find out about your amazing content. Sound like a plan? Yeah, sounds good. I think, cool. you know, going with the theme here, let's ask, how do you make rice, Dane? <laughs> oh. So that question, that question, Nigel, is a, is a really interesting one. And I think to answer it, for me and Dane, we just need to give mm-hmm. the uh, listeners a bit of a sense about why you have become the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi of rice. Because not, every, <laughs> not everyone will be aware. That is true. Well, uh, for the listeners out there, really quick context, I guess. I'm you know, originally from Malaysia. And last year, I made a video uh, reviewing BBC Foods Egg Fried Rice as this character <laughs> called Uncle Roger. He's this middle-aged Asian guy. I was like, hiya, you know. Just really frustrated and angry at this uh, presenter messing up fried rice on BBC Food. And that video blew up massively. You know, I think it's on 22 million views on YouTube now and a few million on Facebook, a few million on Twitter. So now everybody, whenever people make fried rice, they tag me on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why people uh, think I'm like the god of rice, which I'm not. You know, I, I eat rice. I grew up eating it. We had it for like up to three meals a day sometimes. I cook it a lot. Even before Uncle Roger blew up, I did stand up. I had a whole big closing routine about how British people fuck up rice in this country. How can you, know, you fuck you up one. rice? Let's talk through fucking up rice before me and Dane tell you oh, how we... Yeah, yeah, exactly. The many oh, ways you can fuck up rice. <laughs> Where do we start? Where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> uh, number one, number one, buying any sort of instant microwavable rice. Yeah. You know? That's that's already you know, that's already polarizing people already. Well, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll defend one thing. I'll defend one thing about the microwavable rice, not plain rice, because that's mental. But if you're talking about the pilau, uh, which if we're making a curry, my knowledge of how to pilau rice is a little bit limited. I've got a baby now, Nigel, so that's a good excuse for being lazy. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I sometimes pa- get a pack of pilau, but um, yeah. Well. And I'm always a champion of this. Like, get a rice cooker. I think everybody should own one. Mm. It makes it simpler than using a microwave. Yeah. You put the rice in, you pour the water to the line that tells you how many cups of rice, pour the water to here, press play, and you ignore it. Even if it's done, it keeps it warm until you're ready to have it. Right, so, rice cooker. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it doesn't take up a lot of space. You know, you have a La Cruze. Most British families have a La Cruze. How often do you make a casserole? Mm. You yeah. know? Yeah, good point. <laughs> So I, I recommend it. But the other ways people mess up rice, making it too wet, too much yeah. water it's too porgy, in the rice. Yeah. You've got more of a, you got a, you got a risotto then. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, nobody wants that. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes you're in the mood for a risotto, but not usual. Not well, fucking day. up risotto yeah. to me is, to fucking up risotto is, is, is legit. Like, as in, there is some skill to the uh, the cooking of a risotto, the stock, you know, and how long you cook it for, and blah, blah, blah. But uh-huh. fucking up rice feels an incredible achievement to me. I mean, I cook rice all the time. And, you know, I, I don't know if I'd ever consider it that I fucked it up, really. I mean... <laughs> I think that's a problem, isn't it? If you don't yeah, know how, how it is. You are, you are really... I feel like you are really... We have, we have to establish as well, Nigel, is that, like, there is a difference between Eastern and I'd say also... Uh, African and uh, Western cultures, whereby to, to Western culture, rice is seen as more of an accoutrement or a side, where it's a staple mm-hmm. where we're from. So it's like, how yeah. if you fuck up the rice, the whole meal is pretty much fucked up. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting, I'll just give you the quick context of my background, you know, as, as, a, as a kind of Eastern okay. European, okay. D- descendant of Eastern European Jews, 
goulash, which I don't know if any of you have ever experienced, is a lovely kind of casserole meal. And um, yes. I would say that was the primary source of rice in my childhood. And that would be a pretty rare occurrence, right? So like I didn't have a lot of rice growing up. And obviously um, my mum didn't, you know, cook anything from, uh, you know, kind of uh, Asia particularly uh, in any way. So uh, I, and she would cook it all right. And I guess that's it really. It's just all right. Just all right rice really. So that's yeah. why I don't really fuck it up, I guess. It's because you just make all right rice really. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I see where you're coming from. But if you told me, I grew up in Malaysia, we rarely ate potatoes, right? But I'll never go to an Irish person or any Western person and say, how can you fuck up potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> cook it, it's always there. Is it? How can you really fuck up potatoes? Well, I'll tell you the difference. <laughs> I'll tell you the difference in just kind of if we're getting into the minutiae of this, because not that I disagree with your, your comment, but the, my, my point would be that with potatoes, so if you come over to my house, Nigel, you welcome over at any point. Uh, well, not any point. That'd be weird if I said just come over any time. But, you know, it, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> well, we're calling the podcast, mate. Come on. Um, uh, but if, uh, if, 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 you know, I made you roast potatoes, right? You know, mm. like my roast potatoes compared to my mum's or my brother's will be very, very different with garlic, herbs. And I guess that can apply to rice. But I think the British mentality, obviously the country I grew up in, right. just has rice as just this thing that you just boil with water. I mean, I sometimes put a stock cube in my rice just to give it an extra bit of, you know, something. That's, that's, doable. that's good. Uh, oh, good. That's I'm, good. I'm gaining, yeah. I'm gaining... You know, you know, cleverness in rice territory now. Good, that's uh, Dane. It, just, uh, it sounds at least it, it seems how that you're at least making more of an effort to consider what is involved in making rice. I think mm. too many people are on the impression that you just add water and heat to it, and then you have suitable rice. But um, rice can vary depending yeah. on the preparation because obviously egg fried rice, which is a, a great dish, is very different to. I think the rice that I would probably be uh, experienced most often would be rice and peas, um, which. Yeah. I mean, it says rice and peas, which would make you think there's only two ingredients involved. But rice and peas also involves, can potentially involve using um, spring onion or green onion in order to like for fragrance, as well as thyme. And uh, maybe the night before, you may leave peas to soak. Uh, and if you're going to soak them in water, in southern water, that's good from a southern tap, you may use bicarbonate of soda because the water is a uh, it's not as fresh and clean as it is up north. Interesting. So, you may have to use purified water to leave pieces soak overnight so they soften. And uh, even prior to that, it might be a process if you're using natural kidney beans that you may have to pick out stones. Then you have to heat that up with uh, diced onion and uh, creamed coconut and then wait until the peas burst open. And then you add rice, which may be washed maybe three or four times and maybe pick out some of the the, uh, the blacker pits of the rice in there as well. So it's called polished rice. Polished rice, people don't always use polished rice. Uh, especially because uh, it can be a rich source of uh, vitamin B. Mm. Uh, but obviously we get our vitamins from other places. So you add your rice, leave that to steam. Potentially maybe you can use uh, some thyme for fragrance. Uh, or sometimes people use green onion. Some people use scotch bonnet as well. And uh, yeah, that should take. And that's kind of how I would make rice. Although I can openly admit that I very rarely make rice in that fashion because my mother makes the rice and she's amazing. And I feel like you don't go to a mechanic and show him how to fix your own car in the same way you don't go to a comedy club with your own jokes. In the same way that I don't go to comedy cl- people who shouldn't go to a comedy club with their own jokes, I don't go to my mum's house with my own rice recipes. But that's kind of how it's done. Um, so far as my egg fried rice recipe... Tougher gig, say, tougher gig, right? Like It's a tougher gig, but the best recipe I've seen uh, was actually on Nigel's channel, where uh, um, the ingredients uh, are spring onion, uh, obviously egg, uh, rice, which is pre-cooked, pre-cooked rice, MSG, and some light soy, uh, and then you add the fried eggs uh, until the eggs become fragrant, uh, begin to form, then begin to scramble those, and then can add your rice, toss that a few times, little sprinkle of MSG, and then yes. stir again, and then you can, I mean, it depends on who you are. Some people tend to might add more vegetables now. I try to keep it quite simple. Stir rice again, mm. then maybe a yeah, layer of MSG, then maybe sprinkle with light soy, toss again, and then Lovely. as rice is beginning to cook, Oh, make sure you break up the rice as well because it's, when it's, it does come together when it's uh, pre-cooked. So you have to uh, break up the rice as well, toss it in the wok. And then as it's finishing, you can add uh, the diced spring onion for uh, fragrance. Lovely. That's how I make wow. my egg fried rice. That's pretty good. I, I see you've watched a lot of my videos. <laughs> I'm a big fan of egg fried rice, Nigel. I really like egg fried rice and I've, I've, and I've waited for so long for a, uh, a, an efficient recipe to come along. And so it's finally arrived at a time when I needed it most when I'm at home. And so... Yeah, I watched them. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, 
for me, it was an evolution from previously. Uh, my whole main thing was basically Charmaine. But I have never been somebody, and I can say this uh, with pride, I've never bought pre-chopped or pre-packaged stir-fry ingredients to make a stir-fry. Well so. done. Hey, that's really good. Well, I need I need to give it an applause. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's how I make egg fried rice. I take that, take it very, very fucking seriously. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it, but, it, wow. But always more to learn. But it also, but there's so many other rices that I don't know how to make it. I'm trying to learn. I want to do, I want to still do shrimp fried rice and then I do chicken fried rice. I mean, there's small additions here and there, but it's important. But then I guess the ultimate rice would be, oh, also jasmine rice is great. Sticky mm. rice, Thai yeah. sticky rice. I want to learn how to make very well. Because obviously that rice does stick together, but in a great way. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the best rice, the rice that you get wrapped in like banana leaf that you get from Oh, restaurants. yeah. I want that to yes. make that. So um, that's the next level for me. But my, my, my that's my rice recipe so far. Mm. I'm very impressed. That's the great. Com- the, yeah. the complexities, <laughs> <laughs> relief on that. Yeah. The, the complexities <laughs> of rice. Uh, I mean, I, I often think about my, it's interesting growing, I'm um, going to, with a, I've got a wife, Nigel, and she grew up in Hong Kong, Hong Kong, and um, she often talks about how the food, uh, you know, represented here is uh, well in terms of kind of average takeaways, uh, not mm-hmm. not up to scratch, really. Yeah. It's well, the, the people who open takeaways here tend to not be chefs. You know, they just came here for a better life, and the takeaways is one of the few, one of the few only ways they can survive, right? Yeah. So, uh, the takeaway that generation, the cooking is probably not great. Plus, they have to cater to the the British palate. This is true they, as well, yeah. So you can't, yeah, you can't really go too deep with it and uh, keep it very I, basic. Yeah, exactly. So just don't don't think it's a like representative of like Cantonese food. But now they are like start. Cantonese chefs are starting to come over. Chinese chefs are starting to come come over to to work at like prestigious restaurants and open up restaurants here. So it's getting it's getting better across the board. I think. Yeah, yeah that's interesting, and I, I I definitely think we should respect our rice. I mean, that's what you've you've that could be your whole hashtag for like the future, Nigel. Respect the rice. Yeah. Yes. I want to. I want to coin a hashtag: White Rice Matters. Have you started doing those videos? Because I will film them for you. I will happily get. I mean, no, that is honestly that will make that will make a big wave. I imagine uh, it's. It, it, it really is coming in the next video. It's not the. It's not a whole video about that, but it's. I say it as a line. Mm. It's one of the. If we wanted to slag off a bit of rice, I'm going to slag off a particular type of rice now, uh, which is is wholemeal um, uh, risotto rice. That's a tough. That's a tough life there. That's like the fucking awkward friend at the party. It's just a lot, lot of work. Takes a lot of work to get that rice ready to 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 do. But you know, what what is it? What is wholemeal rice well, it, it, it's, it's yeah it's got more fiber in it and it's just a bit i bought actually when I mean, wholemeal anything just sounds terrible i'm trying to be a healthy person nigel food and then wholemeal that food and makes that makes that food better <laughs> anytime i add wholemeal to a food it, it makes the food worse yeah you know what yeah. i mean yeah. pretty much every yeah. single time i can't really think of something that wholemeal improves wholemeal Wholemeal food is kind of like when people drink champagne in clubs as opposed to normal fruit juice. Like, <laughs> you don't drink it because it tastes bad. It's just for the prestige, okay? It's not because yeah, it's yeah. bad. Don't lie to yourselves. <laughs> hey, listen. It, it tastes better if, they, you know, sometimes you order like a, ta- a bucket of tan champagne bottles and then girls come out carrying them with sparklers on their tits. <laughs> yeah. And then it tastes yeah. a bit better. <laughs> and, then you're like, you know? and then you're like, oh, yeah. What are we drinking again? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we um, also, I also want to... Um, talk down on a particular type of rice oh yeah uh, and that would be that would be rice cake ah. it's an abomination it's an abomination yeah. it shouldn't even count that someone should step in and stop that from happening there should be economic sanctions against whichever nations are allowing for taking two amazing things gifts to the world rice and cake and combining them to make a natural abomination it has to stop now i'm writing it down that could be a future video <laughs> it has to rice yeah. cake Rice cake. Yes. The worst. How do we feel about uh, paella rice? Oh, lovely when it's done right. Yes, I, I, I agree. I, I still prefer the, the Asian style rice, but I've had really good paella and it, it, it's good. But most of the time, it's not done right. Yeah, it's not done right. Most yeah. of the time, it's at 
And then there's like five tourists taking picture of pictures of it. Yeah, which I you found know? really weird. And then like, needs more wine. I'm like, what the hell are they making? So, yeah. Like, can we stop making paella in those big ass yeah. walks? I know you're just doing it for the photos, guys. You know, I'm pretty sure the heat is not evenly distributed. You're in borough market. You're, you're, you're against regulation if you use a big flame. So almost definitely rat, and there's almost definitely rat's hairs carried on the wind in your pile if you're making pile in Borough Market. <laughs> like, you're made no more than four feet away from a rat, which means you are pretty close to eating a rat pile. I said it. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> well, I think the uh, listeners will have learned a lot about rice uh, in this <laughs> section of the show. It's never come up before, is it, Dane? A hundred plus episodes. We've never talked about rice in this kind of detail. I think we, not- ha- we haven't. And you know what? And it's, and it's been down to the amazing Asian co- comedic contingent of this part of this part of this podcast to bring up both rice and remember Ishan Akbar historically bringing up potatoes, potatoes as well. Potatoes, yeah, yeah. Who will bring so, up the next the staple? <laughs> exactly, who's next? Uh, we, we shall see. But I'm going to diverge uh, for my question today into something that isn't particularly serious, unless you want to take it really seriously. Dane, uh, I've prefaced this question with you before uh, the show, which is a rare occurrence, Nigel, because I'm desperate to not be um, a prick. Uh, uh, which I would tell you, you know, I've had a hundred plus guests on this show. I haven't fucked any of them off particularly, have I, Dane? I don't think. Um, <laughs> not, not that I know of, Howard. Well, no, I, 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 I don't think this sounds reassuring where you're being like, Nigel, before I did this, I'll tell you this. I want you to know that I'm yeah. a very good guy. I, I've spoken to over a hundred people. Some of them probably yeah. Asian, probably, or they've had rice. So <laughs> they've had rice like, too. So you know where this is going. Uh, the more disclaimers you add, the more. Yeah. Well, it's because I'm an awkward you know? Jewish man, right? So I'm like the guy who puts the disclaimers on, you know? That's true. Yeah, and, that's uh, and, yeah. and, <laughs> I, I always go, I always think like you should just say it and apologize okay, afterwards. Right, let, me, let, me exactly. let me just say it. Let me just say it. Also, Howard. Yeah. Don't use our podcast and be like, I'm the Jewish guy and here's my small print. That doesn't help us either, Howard. <laughs> okay, right, well, fine. Here, here, here it comes, here it comes. Right, last week, right, I'm hungry, about 4 p.m., right? Going to, the, going to the kitchen, wife sitting there. I say to her, in my voice, I say to her, hey, I'm going to have a miso soup, right? Uh, and then uh, without thinking about it, I said, because because me so hungry, right? In my voice, yeah. right? And then my wife turned around to me and said the word racist at me, uh, to, which I, to which I looked at her and said, no, I don't agree. I, I, I don't agree. I'm not sure I agree. I married you. you <laughs> no, I married you. <laughs> so, so I think we can all agree, hopefully, or maybe not. You can tell me what you think. That that, that isn't a particularly racist um, thing I said. No. If I'd maybe added more <laughs> layers to my response or, or the joke, then maybe I could have found a way to make it racist. Um, <laughs> but I didn't. So my question to you both is, um, wh- where are we now with censoring jokes because that interaction with my wife who I love and who laughs at a lot of the things I say um was obviously just like wow that's really I'm you know that's quite a big reaction you've given me to something that I thought was quite throwaway when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, I was more offended that it's a bad Yeah, time. of course. Howard, the only thing you need to give as a caveat before this is be like, Nigel, I'm a dad. 
So, so I make dad yeah, jokes now. <laughs> yeah, you make dad jokes now. That's all, Howard. Yeah, you just yeah. Notice it's like the like the line is. This is not a line of race that has to be drawn here. It's a line where you have to understand: Are you going to continue? This descent into paternal-based comedy. Yes, yes, I am. But when yeah. I'm when I'm yeah. potentially threatened, when I'm potentially threatened by censorships of racism, um, I've found that quite shocking. And that's in my own house. And it's and it's not really even that my does my wife. I don't think she even really thinks that it's racist. It's more the world around us is very very sensitive to that, which I get. Uh, but I don't know what you guys well, think about it. I think uh, okay. For a bit of context, your wife is Singaporean. Uh, no, she's right? she's from Hong Kong. She's a white woman from Hong oh, Kong. Oh, okay. okay, well, a white woman from Hong Kong. Okay, well, I can't speak for her, but growing up in Malaysia, we uh, we do a lot of race jokes, and then when we say we call someone racist, sometimes we just say it. There's no baggage to it. We just say, "Oh, that's racist," jokingly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, after, you know, lovingly call someone racist. But in, in the Western world, when you call someone racist, there's this huge baggage, you know, especially if you're uh, Caucasian, if you're white. When you get labeled racist, you just feel like your world crumbling down in front of you. <laughs> there's this big, there's this big weight behind that word. So I, I, th- I think she didn't. I don't think she thinks no, her racist. Agree. First of all, yeah, yeah. So I think it'd be more, it'd be more exactly. Yeah, how you know what'd be more shocking, than Nigel, <laughs> if, if, if Howard's wife went racist and I'm horny. Then I'd be like, that's <laughs> racist. <laughs> me yeah. so horny now. Yeah, now me so horny now. Then I'd be worried if she was like, now I'm me so horny. Then I'd be like. That's worrying. But it's maybe. an interesting thing in the sense that... Listen, you, you can't control what you get turned on by. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Why it gets turned on by racism. I'm so glad I tried to have a really nuanced conversation about censorship in comedy <laughs> that got turned into a conversation about my wife being horny. Um, but it's, it's just... The vibe of this podcast, like, I've only listened to one mm. episode before, but you do... You, do you do you want like a proper discussion or is this more common? No, both, both. Very much both. up for proper okay. conversation. And I, I thought it was a really interesting example in that case because obviously you know it didn't offend my wife. She felt kind of the world's yeah. response right now is to say that to me. I just said it in my own voice. I didn't um, impersonate, which can obviously cause more offence. I would say generally is yeah. one of the that, rules. That's my that's my story. What do you think of this one, Nigel? I was walking through Chinatown and saw two. Uh, <laughs> Two uh, Scandinavian tourists and the lady went and stood by a shop and then did the thing. I'll show you. I just want to turn my camera on real quick so you need to see this. So she's ready to, we get ready okay. to, she gets ready to do a pose, turns around to the guy and goes, so for the listeners who can't see this, essentially a lady was posing for a photo in Chinatown and uh, used her fingers to make her eyes look more slanted. So crazy. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, you may be forgiven for thinking, oh, she just has really, really lazy eyelids. But then when she saw me, she moved her finger straight away. Yeah, of course she did. Uh, and then yeah. she moved on with her husband, who from the back mysteriously looks a lot like Jeremy Clarkson. But that shouldn't. <laughs> don't let that filter your perception of that situation. Well, the thing is, we learned that doing that is not good because people tell us, right? And you know, when Asian people, Asian people who grew up here, especially, they got they get taunted with that pose a lot. So when say a white British person does it. Their Asian friends or people, Asian people will be, or their white friends will even say, "Hey, man, that's that's not cool, man." So that's how they learn, right? But in Scandinavia, there's no Asian awareness, you know. Not, so not I can really, see yeah. why she does that. It's like just some fun little joke. Well, yeah, I think I think you know, I, I imagine she's going there to spend the money in Chinatown. So I guess she's not adverse to you know, uh, immersing herself in yeah. Chinese cultures in the same way that like if you in Japan when you see someone, if you see like a hip hop night and some people are in blackface, even though it is very racially insensitive to us in the West. They're not doing that because they are trying to insult anybody. It's because they don't see any of the black people where they are. And it's almost like a weird homage to them. It's like, which is the way we can do it? You know, even include, you know, yeah. Justin Trudeau was fine with it. But I think, yeah, it's 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 a difference between like <laughs> someone being like doing that with their eyes and then putting a brick through somebody's window. It's very different to like this posing while you're in Chinatown because, uh, yeah, yeah, you have to kind of be taught about racial sensitivity. And even that's probably changed over the years because even it's seen as a... Uh, yeah an attribute of beauty within my community. So if your eyes resemble someone has more, uh, what do you think is a, a phenotypical of an Asian person that's seen as being like, uh, beauty. So really, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. I need to change my hinge settings now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think you feel <laughs> if you're like, yeah, to the sisters, your kids will have eyes like this, like for a lot of people. Uh, and there's a, and there's a, and there is a whole another discussion about colorism and, uh, mm. you know, the, interracial issues there as well where even within my own community non-black features 
on black people as seen as preferred. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other discussion entirely. But, um, yeah. I think the Japan example is interesting because I think it applies to the Scandinavian example too because when you come from a homogenous society, mm-hmm. the context is different. Yeah. We, we are quite sensitive to race here because it's a diverse society. You know, there are many different races of people live in the UK. But whereas for Japan, when they do blackface, they think, okay, this is an homage to yeah. the black artists we like so much. Yeah, exactly. You know? But when they move here, hopefully they'll learn. Don't don't come come yeah. don't go do the black in Edinburgh, you know, at the fringe. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a worse place to do it as well. Yeah. There's kind of there's kind of a weird. I, I don't know that that I, I was kind of I suppose I was trying to look at because obviously some of the comment you know, things we just discussed are kind of over. Uh, the offensive stuff, I would argue, um, you know, blackface in the UK, for instance, overtly, or in the West, generally, overtly offensive. Where it's kind of, there's this grey area of stuff, like, you know, like kind of as a Jew, like I've had to correct people in the past to let them know that the word yid is not acceptable, which (laughs) which is kind of mental to me. Like, that's kind of mental to me. Whereas if they said to me something about, like, I don't know, like, uh, uh, you know, like bagels or, like, some kind of, like, um, comment regarding the Jewish culture, bagels or rabbis or, I don't know, any, any, any kind of, like, in a passing kind of, Joshy, friendly, like, kind of catchy. Give, yeah. Yeah, giving you a beer and be like, don't worry about this beer, Howard. It's kosher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Perfect example, right? If someone said that to me. I would just go, <laughs> very good. And it's a bit of a, you know, it's a little bit, a bit of a dig at me, but it's not like a diggers in like, it's kind of trying to bring people together, I think, in a way, putting our differences aside with a little bit of humor. I don't know, Nigel, how you feel well, about I, this I, stuff. I, 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 it's, an, it's an identifier as well, Howard. Just mm. to cut you, Nigel, just because as Nigel said that, like where he's grown up, it's like, common that people will make commentary on people's race or even like more interracial differences. So there'll be a distinct difference between like someone that's born in mainland China versus someone who's Malay Chinese versus, you know, someone who might be from Taiwan who might have immigrated there. So even amongst immigrants within the UK, we do tend to have very overt discussions about our differences, but I don't think that's in terms of us trying to establish hierarchy. It's more about, I think a large part of it is rationalization. I think racial awareness has, is a big part of global uh, well, big part of globalism. And so by that token, where Western culture has permeated different parts of societies around the world, those same platitudes where it comes to ideas about race have also permeated throughout the world as well. Hmm. So as you said, where people who come from historically hom- racially homogenous societies are through globalization and becoming more aware of different cultures and, you know, sometimes their exposure to that can be very limited based on what they see in mainstream media. Yeah. So a lot of time amongst, particularly amongst like, you know, immigrant comics or artists we tend to have a lot more open discussions which can sometimes be you know it can be quite edgy they can be you know do, to, the, do. to the uninitiated it can appear to be kind of offensive and stuff but i think it's a large part of us like i said more talking about our commonality rather than it is trying to divide us based on differences it's just talking about who we are and i think a lot of the time that comes from the fact that we seldom see a narrative about ourselves and our journeys and our aesthetic in mainstream media so it's a big deal just to talk about it so it's even with like Uncle Roger, for example, for me is like, I'm sure one of the big parts of the appeal is that it's like, it's a narrative about Asian culture that is authored from an Asian person who understands both Asian and Western culture, as opposed to somebody having to just play up to stereotypes or just, you know, or also appear to be like, do the kind of, I'm Asian, but yeah. it's like, do there's you, a do difference you, between the, yeah. Do you agree with this, Nigel? I would like to think that's how people view it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not everybody that's intelligent as nuance, right? At, at the very base level, I, you know, as long as people find it funny and they don't think, yeah, as long as people find it funny, I'm happy. But I'm, I'm sure out there there are people who will still think, oh, so funny, Asian speaking Asian, ha ha ha, you know? But that's something I can't control. But ideally, yes, hopefully, as they see, see enough videos, they realize, oh, Uncle Roger is saying some insightful things or less common things is very unstereotypical. Sure, he speaks with an accent, but the things he's saying are very spot on. So yes, I hope people will view it from that lens. But ultimately, as a creator, you can create something, put it out there, but you can't control what lens through which someone views your work. Yeah, it's all, it's all quite subjective, I think. But I think, I, I, how would I, I think, you know, the issue is as well in terms of like Taro kind of worrying about it is that we have had such a sustained period, particularly with digital media, I think, where people take something as simple as me, so and they take words like this and they're able to subvert them or make them incendiary words to the point whereby I've done shows where if a white audience hears a white person just use the word black in an adjectival sense, they begin to tense up. 
Mm. Even if that person is given an anecdote about an interaction they had with a black person, the fact that they mentioned black, this kind of like invisible dark cloud begins to appear <laughs> over the stage where the people are like, is this person going to be able to land this proverbial plane where we experience turbulence here? And I think, you know, part of that... It's not healthy, right? That, that's not healthy. No, it's really not healthy. healthy. It's, like, it's like, for me, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, it's Orwellian. It's, it's like you are curtailing the ability to, for people to express themselves because if we aren't able to use a term like black or if a white person can't use a term like black, there can not be any explicit discussion about race relations if people are being robbed of the nomenclature to do so. So, for example, if I say the word gay as a straight person and people were to clam up because I said the word gay, I said, this gay dude came up to me in a bar and people climb up because they presume homophobia, but I may not be able to, to use the adjective to describe a person's sexual orientation. How can we have a discussion whereby I am relaying a story about an interaction with another human being and humanizing that interaction? By us not having these discussions, it's, never really, it's, never, it's not really possible. And I think that's been a big tool of driving a divide between people that we become so sensitive to language, like where we are depriving ourselves of using it in context in order to kind of have conversations with each other. Well, first of all, I, I think uh, I think you put it re- really well. But I've seen people do stand up bits like that. I say, "Oh, this gay guy came out to me at the bar. Yeah. Don't worry, guy, it's relevant to the story." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. That. You go on the story, but yeah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Do you yeah. find uh, in your own kind of professional life, Nigel, that that kind of that the, the you you feel this kind of like I say, there's like a big area that's just like offensive over here, right? Okay, this is the best. And then there's this bit in the middle that we're all kind of clamoring around, not quite sure. How do you deal with that? I usually go towards the offensive side. And, you know, I, I, I host a podcast too where I trying to make other comedians laugh and it's, it's tough to make comics laugh without yeah. sort of veering towards like fucked up or, you know, dark, dark stuff because we've heard it all. Yeah, this is you true. Know? So, and I think the beauty is Online, sure, the, the vocal minority are very vocal and they'll come at you for saying certain things. But I think 99% of the people don't care. You know, I've made, a, I've made like several like pretty dark jokes. That I didn't pull off that well. <laughs> and people are forgiving. They're like, eh, that joke was a bit dark, but it's okay. I'll still keep watching you. You know, mm. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I veer towards... I have some very, you know, normal and safe jokes, but I also veer towards... Like, I just think it's well. it's just that bit of everyday life as well, no, right? Where you're kind of, obviously, as a, as a com- as comedians, you kind of, I think you, it's almost like having a, one of those badges that you put on for a special parking space <laughs> to, get, to, to get away with, to get away with life. And, and, and I'm a comedian, you know, but like in normal, just everyday life, I think we're at a point now where... It's going to make life a bit boring if we can't kind of go, oh, you know what? Sorry. Actually, actually, or actually you can go, I don't think that actually offended you. I think you just want to try and be on the lookout all the time for things that offend you, even if they don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, but who are you hanging out with? <laughs> okay, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one story, and why, well, a quick one, very quick one, and then we'll move on. I was with someone, I'm not going to name them because I don't know if they would like me to name them, but I was with someone. No, Name no, because it's a young, it's a young family member. So I feel that's okay. a bit of a piss take. If it's my mum or my right. wife, I don't care. Um, but the, <laughs> um, but they said to, I said we uh, they're watching Arsenal, right? And um, um, some other conversation um, was about Kieran Tierney, who's a, a Scottish player who plays for Arsenal. And my mum thought that he was French because she thought Tierney was a French name from the way it was pronounced. And it somehow got into this conversation with a member of my family where um, it, it, it could kind of be considered offensive that, that we, we'd kind of had this mistake. And it's like, what? Like, I was just like, I was trying it all really confusing that, that, that it's just like, oh, your old grandma just made a bit of an error. Like, doesn't matter. Like, you can be sure Kieran Tierney doesn't give a fuck that that's happened. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, who are you taking all this offence for is one of my things that I'm kind of obsessed with at the moment. Um, yeah. Um, did they, like, this family member of yours, they took offence. They're like, how could you, Grandma? <laughs> she's, she's not bad. <laughs> How can you confuse one white race for another white race? You know, <laughs> it's such a. By the way, I have to say this is like the the podcast I've done where the producer speaks the most. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I've talked too much. What angling for like a promotion? I'm just listening because I think Howard's a, a, more, a lot more fascinated than me um, to, to see how it works with offense. I mean, I guess I'm kind of like you, Nigel, in that I just veer on 
offense because I think it's always good to just bring people to the precipice of what they consider to be offense. And then you kind of leave them the choice of whether they want to jump off or not. So a lot of the time, when I do bring somebody to the point, you don't necessarily have to be on the nose with it, but if you get them close enough to they see where you're going and they react, we are like, well, you only reacted that way if you understand what I'm talking about because these observations only work if they're validated by people that I share the same ones. So I kind of mm-hmm. push it in that respect. And then so far as, again, how about the family member and speaking about, um, you know, why someone's name might be construed as offensive. I don't think that's just, I think a lot of people feel, again, that we are in just a, so much more of a socially tense atmosphere that people themselves now overreact when they see something they appear to be offensive because they're anticipating someone being cancelled. They're anticipating some kind of backlash. And I think it's, Virtue signal is not the right word to use, but I think people kind of now in an anticipatory way will kind of caveat and will try and like advise you. Mm. And I would argue that your family member probably wouldn't have been as sensitive to the uh, nominative determinism if before Brexit, they probably wouldn't have been as sensitive. Yeah. But I think that there's been so much polarization that's happened along the lines of like Europeans. And, you know, I mean, not one I want to speak to for Nigel, but seeing white people fight over this stuff, I, I gotta say, I love it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but is but I think yeah, it's it's that kind of sensitivity now whereby people become because and it's, and it's because you're seeing so much of a democratization of voices. Yeah. I think people are still trying to take time now to work out the etiquette in considering people all the time. Mm. And I think people will learn over time as well. Is that like I always say, you know, as a as a as a person of color, which even in itself because now become a contentious point. Um, I would say that um, I feel like I've evolved to a point where I can tell if someone's being offensive or not, or if their intent is is offensive. So I remember I had an incident before where I was in uh, Greater Manchester. I was doing a gig at the Frog and Bucket, great club. Mm. One of the guys afterwards from Salford, a guy um, said to me that I reminded him of his uh, family member. And he said, you know, he's a great guy. He's coloured as well. Now, to people that are from a particular socioeconomic background or, or a little more liberal, using a word uh, like colour to describe someone like myself would seem archaic and offensive. But the guy was so enthused and he wanted to buy me a drink and wanted to hang out with me. And I'm like, somebody who wants to buy me a drink and hang out with me and like me to a member of his family probably is not using that word coloured in a pejorative term. Mm. Also, you know, by the same token, if you use that word in South Africa, it has a very different connotation than it does in uh, the UK. So it can can all be quite complicated. I mean, to be honest, the truth is, we're all, the only way we're going to be able to avoid any of this nomenclature being offensive is if we arrive at a point globally and socially where we describe people as people. Yeah. If we're going to continue to c- categorize people as, you know, along the lines of gender and sexual orientation and race and ethnicity, then we're still going to have all of these issues. Whereas if we get to the point where we are on, we're describing people as people and we don't hold on so originally to ideas about nationality and mm. race, then we don't have to worry about offending, offending anybody because we'll all know we're the same. So. Interesting. And uh, an interesting area that I imagine we won't have heard the last of on this show, Dane. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it definitely seems to be coming up more and more. Um, so uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so over to you, mate, for the, uh, the final question of today's show. Absolutely. So um, as you heard from our bio, Nigel, we like to celebrate our guests and uh, celebrate the achievements they've done as well. And, and you've you've had several achievements. Uh, I would say uh, maybe on two fronts, um, obviously with the viral success of Uncle Roger and online. But, you know, having a nomination at Edinburgh is no small feat either. Um, now, why I, the reason why I wanted to bring them up is because there are two... I mean, there seems to be... And it's just, it seems to be emerging that there are new two trajectories that a creative or particularly a comedian creative can follow now um, with the emergence of digital media and you have made significant gains in both um but i've also seen a podcast before you spoke to a friend of mine mo gilligan he's on mo's podcast where you're kind of saying that like you know i I spent all this money in order to get myself this profile at edinburgh and then go on to get a nomination and this did not precipitate in like a litany of opportunities coming along to make to even make the money back that i spent in the first place. So I basically just wanted to ask you, obviously given that you have extended, cause uh, you know, and, and also there, there is somewhat of a schism, I would argue between YouTubers and online creators versus your more classic or purist comedian as well. Um, which I'm sure you're aware of, and I'm sure you've heard people be like, yeah, well, blah, 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 YouTube, blah, 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 blah. so my question to you is very simply, and I'm sure you've been asked this many, many times. Um, but we'd like you to be a lot more candid and explicit on this particular podcast. Um, YouTube star or comedian on stage comedian, which you prefer, or pros pros and cons of both. 
I think with the way I'm doing it, I think they have to exist hand in hand. Mm. Right? Like YouTube to me is a means of like achieving an audience. Mm -hmm. And then I want to do stand up, I want to sell tickets, I want to tour to that audience. You know? Mm -hmm. And sure, as I as I go grow older one day, maybe I'll be like, all right, I I I'm sick of this traveling. I want to stop traveling. Then I'll just, you know, fully just do YouTube stuff and podcasting and everything. So, uh, but that day hasn't come yet, and I still I, I really really enjoy stand up. Even if that day comes, I'm sick of traveling. I probably will still do stand up uh, in front of a live audience. I just did my second gig back yesterday, and uh, you know it was it was so fun. You know it went well. It was so fun, and I forgot how much fun it was. And yeah, I don't think I don't see myself stop uh, to stop doing stand up anytime soon. And I would even argue this. I think in, in this day and age, we're all YouTubers now. Mm -hmm. Right, like you do a you set on Life at the Apollo, mm -hmm. that clip gets put on YouTube, and your and your career, your profile depends directly on how viral that clip gets on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So to say like YouTuber versus stand up, it's like I get well, I get what they're trying to say. They're trying to distinguish between the the, the classic you know vloggy annoying teenager type YouTubers, you know the Jake Paul Logan. Smash the button. Up, guys? Hey guys, guys, hey guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna destroy ten cars today. And we're gonna <laughs> give one person a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> You know, that maybe they're differentiating between that, the vloggy type you annoying YouTubers versus a proper uh, I want to say proper comedian versus a stand up comedian. But you know, what I'm doing is I, I I view I'm just a comedian and YouTube is just another medium for me to be funny. Podcasting, another medium for me to be funny. Stand up, another medium for me to be funny. That's how I view my career. And then and I think as a comic, as a stand up in this day and age. You shouldn't be drawing a di distinction between online and offline comedy anymore. I think they all blend into one. You are going to be a YouTuber mm -hmm. in the sense that your clips are going to have to go on YouTube if you want to be discovered. Like, where else are you going to put it? Vimeo? <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> Sorry, Vimeo, in case you happen to you know, sponsor yeah. the show. I know Vimeoers out there making a career. You know, so I, I think that that's how I view it. And I think YouTube to me is, is a way, how else do you grow an audience? You know, like live shows, sure you can grow it through live shows because your fans will bring their girlfriends there. But that's one at a time, yeah. right? And live shows, how many tickets, like, you know, sure you can sell a thousand tickets, but how many of those will be new fans versus how many existing people who already know you? So how do you reach new people? And I think the only answer to that Without uh, it's one TV, sure they'll help, but it's so competitive. You know, there's like a thousand comics fighting for five spots on hypothetical. Yeah, you know, so yes, yeah. Um, and then it's so competitive there. So I think the only other way for us to build a profile, and by profile I mean reaching new people, is through an algorithm. Well, the, yeah. qu the question I, I feel I have to yeah. ask you, uh, Nigel, is um, when you made that video. That kind of changed, you know, uh -huh. changed a bit of your life, right? Or only, you know, it might not have didn't yeah, change everything because yeah. other things were already on the go, like you're saying, you know. The, but it kind of expanded a bit of your life. Did you did you think it was going to be popular? And then how did it feel once it did uh, become popular? No, I didn't think it was going to be popular. I just thought, oh, this is a funny video. Let me make it. It's the same philosophy I go into creating every video. You know, I I I, I hope it'll be popular. I hope people will like it. But the main goal is, like, oh, I think this is funny. Let, let's do it. But that you bit know? of the, the, the reason I ask that is, is, is because to me, uh, and as a, like a TV producer character, I'm often kind of trying to come up with things. And, and we're often trying to come up with things that we think people will want. And I have, for most of my career, tried to stop people doing that and tried to get them to come up with what they want and what makes them entertained or laugh or interested or whatever it might be. And um, obviously the internet and podcasting as well uh, offers that on a kind of, in a way that TV doesn't because TV is a process where many people have to make a decision to allow you to do, to do it. But the kind of autonomy you've experienced and the kind of, you know, the flourishing you've experienced since that, that, that Uncle Roger video landed is, must be amazing, right? Uh, in really confidence building, I guess. Yeah, I, I think it works for me. I have the personality type of, I, I want to know all parts of the production process. You know, I don't mind, I have like, right now I have a light, a, a, a really beautiful lighting setup proper camera, proper lens, proper microphone. I love learning about all these things. I self-taught I self editing, you know, Premiere Pro, everything. But I, 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 I understand it doesn't work for everybody. Some people are more of a purist. They're just like, like proper craftsmen focusing just, just on stand-up. So it won't work. This path won't work for them. But for me, I like to think I'm very mediocre at a lot <laughs> of things. And that's why I have, you know, get to you know, make a video, control all parts of the production process. I, I, yeah, I love it. I love every part of it. When I film a video, like if it's a location shoot, I get to hire my own crew. I kind of direct my shots a little bit. And 
you know, it's a trial and error process. A lot of the times so I come, end up with really shit shots, but then I realize, okay, next time don't do this. You know, I know, I know a little bit about sound. I know, I know enough to be annoying. <laughs> to put on the, the what's the aperture? Yeah, what, what's the yeah, sensor enough, side? Enough to get an eye roll or like an angry conversation <laughs> over some cigarettes. By you. Who the fuck does this guy think he is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. It's involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get involved. No, but- yeah, I think, I think, I really like that. You know, I, I'm glad that I have the personality type. So I, I like that. Yeah. I, lo- I love the freedom. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I, I think that's part, I think that's for a lot of comics maybe trying to work out how that transition kind of takes place because I think for a lot of people in the same way that historical people said it takes 10 years to become an overnight celebrity, I think a lot of people when they do see something go viral begin to then wreck their brains and begin to like try all these things outside of their normal uh, artistic matrix to try and realize kind of viral state as well. So yeah, I wanted to ask because I, I feel like People don't, maybe people don't realize is that any confidence that you do show with online content has come from years of gigging in two different, three, maybe two, three different countries and honing that and honing the, and having an understanding of both Western comedy and Eastern comedy or, or even anglicized attitudes towards comedy in the East and stuff as well. Um, so, yeah, it was, yeah. do you, do you, do you, have you found the transition in terms of like how you go about creating content, whether it is live performance on or on online? Is there a massive difference in terms of output or, you know, what your endeavors are in terms of what you're trying to achieve? Or do you still kind of write and be like, this is the line, this is the punchline, and I'm just doing it with a camera instead of just a microphone? Yeah, I think they all come from the same place, right? Mm-hmm. It all comes from the same core sense of humor. And you're right, I've been doing stand-up since 2011 in America, then here, and I've traveled, you know, done stuff in Asia as mm-hmm. well. And then online stuff, I've been doing it since uh, er, like 2019, mm-hmm. end of 2018. So two years, almost two years before Uncle Roger blew up. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of time to learn and experiment. Uh, but yeah, it all comes to the same uh, core. And sure, right now the production's a little bigger. I have, like, I write with some friends sometimes, you know, because churning out one video, one 15-minute video a week is like, you, you need help. You know, you can't be writing everything yourself. You can't be editing everything yourself. So I have help now. But I think the core of it still comes from, you know, your, your sense of your comedic style, your sense of timing. And if I think for me, my, uh, my, my comedic philosophy is if you see me do an Uncle Roger video versus podcast versus stand-up, sure, they're slightly different mediums, but you can still see, oh, okay, I can still see where the, the, the sense of humor is coming from. You can still see similarities across everything I do because, you know, even though, yes, Uncle Roger's a character, but the sense of humor is kind of just an enhanced exaggerated version of a specific angle of my sense of humor so yeah if it, it all comes from the same place i think yeah yeah it's really interesting and, go on Dan. and so and so with the same sorry. It, it, it coming in the same place and really just maybe just finding a new medium to realize your content um do you find with kind of like viral eyes are you are you so the demographic that you're targeting now was there like a nigel audience that you had live that you're finding is just grown and has the same kind of sensibilities with the digital audience or is it like I don't think these people even like my stuff it's like do you find by doing <laughs> having this transition is it, is it a much larger audience that's what Nick Helm said to us right uh, Dane he said that he used to get people yeah, to turn yeah. up his, his gigs wanting the TV show Uncle <laughs> which is a bad yeah. bad thing well because he, he probably didn't get to control the whole, all the creative yeah. process yeah, did exactly. he so that's so now if people come to my show wanting Uncle Roger, I'll probably do it on a tour. I'll let Uncle Roger open, give them what they want. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I like doing it. It's, it's funny to me, mm-hmm. you know, and I can just kind of do crowd work with Uncle Roger. I don't even need to write material. I just riff off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I, I really don't know. Before Uncle Roger, I had a, like maybe a small, small audience, maybe 50,000 50, followers on Instagram. That was before everything blew up. And when I did shows in London, I usually attracted mostly Asian, Western-born Asian people. And now I think my stuff reaches like all races, more countries. So I, I like to think they still like my stand-up. You know, a lot of them come over to the podcast and they like it. So yeah, I think fingers crossed. I, I really don't know the answer to that because I haven't really met all these fans in, in person. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, you'll be able to talk. I say that because, you know, Daniel Radcliffe played Harry Potter, right? And he's probably done some other stuff. But when I see him in the other stuff, whenever the day I see the, the, the title for the movie, all I see is Harry Potter and... Because to me, uh, Daniel Radcliffe is always going to be Harry Potter. Always. You, I see. Maybe you hear me, you Daniel? The character so well. Yeah, we did it. He did it amazingly. <laughs> you hear me, Daniel? Nothing yeah. else. Oh, Rupert's fine. Emma, I'm sure they have range. I'm looking forward to seeing it. But not you, Daniel. You mm-hmm. decided to cement yourself within the hearts and minds of people around the world. 
and forever there <laughs> you shall stay. Yeah. You know. Well, I I don't know if that's gonna happen to me. I hope uh, I hope it doesn't. But even if it does, is that such a bad thing? <laughs> no, it could be you worse. Know? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, you know, as long as you, it could be worse. Yeah, it could than, be much like being borat. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. That's that's got to be much more difficult for Sasha Baron Cohen to be in a restaurant and you know have people approach him with mankinis and sticking hairy testicles in his face, being like, "I'm a like a you." <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, I'd rather be known as Uncle Roger than be unemployed. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Well, there you go. There no? you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating because I'd, I'd seen your stand-up, known you as a, as, a, as a live comic for a long time. And, you know, we thought, oh, this guy's great. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here, right? Like, and, then, and then it just comes out of nowhere sometimes. And I mean, I know you'd made stuff, but, like, the kind of explosion moment is so interesting because... It just, it just, yeah, it's the it's the democratization of it that I enjoy. The the sense that there's nobody uh, being paid. It's a, true open mic. it's a true, it's a true open mic, isn't it? It's yeah, well, the there was no, there was no hundred, there was yeah. no, no one person on hundreds of thousands of pounds of year, year deciding that you should have some success, and that is really, really, I think, inspiring. I look at it as as a, as a great inspiration. Absolutely, there's a bit of luck involved and I also think sure there's a bit of luck involved and there's like hard work as well I also think uh, I, I started doing digital content because out of necessity right I, I always knew I wasn't a fringy fringy type comic mm. so that path is just to me it felt like playing someone else's mm. game okay. so why would I do that you know what I mean and I always felt okay my stuff I feel I can reach more people than just festival goers <laughs> yeah. you know I do that, and that—that's why I started doing uh, digital stuff because I knew if I just kept playing, you know, doing the circuit, doing the fringe, is this—it's not the game for me. I, w- I won't yeah. excel in it. Well, I mean, Dane, what a brilliant, brilliant guest to have on the show. Eh? We, 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 we keep we keep getting amazing people. Nigel, you're you're totally unique and uh, amazing. It's been amazing right, to talk thanks. to you, right? Um, Absolutely. I'm not going to lie to you, Nigel. Being able to judge fried rice contests and perform comedy is right up there with my dreams. With also becoming, an, also becoming a ninja. And I really believe that if you wanted to become a ninja and you spoke to the right people, you could probably make that happen. So, but right now, you're definitely my spirit animal as far as the work you're doing now. I want to make that very clear. Oh, thank, uh, you. thank so, you very much. I, for years, I was searching for somebody that could marry both, you know, fine Asian cuisine and stand-up comedy and you've done it. So I want to thank you personally. And, uh, you know, for anyone who's as grateful as I am, could you please tell our guests where they could find out about more of your great works? Sure. If you want to check my stuff out on YouTube, if you just go on YouTube and search Uncle Roger, uh, that all my stuff will be there. If you want to follow my socials, uh, it's all at Mr. Nigel Ung. It's M-R-N-I-G-E-L-N-G. It's on, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, mm. Weibo, Bilibili, Douyin, you know, all the Chinese platforms too. So I, I, I'm on everywhere, man. So if you want to just find me, give me a follow. I really even appreciate parlor, it. Even Parler if you want to hate watch. Parler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Parler. <laughs> nice one. Next, my next platform. <laughs> I also have you know, a podcast that I host. It's a comedy podcast where you just like make uh, two friends that make each other laugh. Uh, it's called Rise to Meet You. That's, so it's all, know, that's all, with all uh, my uh, historic home of the podcast, Evelyn Mock, as well. So please do uh, check that out as well. Uh, Rise to Meet You. Yeah, we're best. trying to get you on the pod sometime, Dane. Oh, yeah. please do speak to my people. Let's make that happen. Um, yes. We're on YouTube too. So uh, if you want to search us on YouTube, we're there as well, everybody. So yeah, search us. Rise to Meet You and Mr. Nigel. Perfect. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. And what an educational rice journey uh, as well. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. Thank you again, sir. You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Nigel Ung. You can follow Nigel on Twitter and Instagram at MrNigelUng. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember question everything.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.